Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the SAG After Foundation's Conversations at Home program. I'm Scott Nance. So right now, it is my absolute pleasure to engage in a conversation. I'm very, very excited. I've been I've been hoping to have this conversation one of these days, and today is my lucky day. Please welcome Emmy nominee, Oscar nominee, SAG Award nominee, Samantha Morton. Welcome, Samantha. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I have to say, 2022 is like a banner year for you. I mean, like what, what incredible performances in three completely different projects. Uh, you're, you're Catherine Dimitri in The Serpent Queen, you're Mary in The Whale, and you have a crucial role as Zelda Perkins in She Said. But let's start with The Serpent Queen. Uh, what was it like when you first read the story, read the screenplay or the teleplays and, and really like wrapped your head around this character? I think f- for me, um, I I didn't know anything about Catherine de Medici. The, the Medici name is incredibly famous, so I was aware of that name, and but I didn't know anything about her. And I was absolutely fascinated by this idea that, you know, we certainly growing up in, in the UK, we often know a huge amount about men in history, but we don't really know a huge amount about women in history, you know, historical women. And that um, to me was absolutely extraordinary. Um, So yeah, that, 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 you know, I I couldn't believe I didn't know about her. And so that that kind of compelled me to want to know even more. You know, when I'm, when I'm watching the show, I I was surprised that I didn't know uh, enough about her, but, but in terms of like getting into character, what were your points of connection? Like what were the points that you were able to relate to, to really draw you in as an actor? I don't think there are any particular points rather than I needed to find a way in. I needed to find a recognition in, I needed to see something in her that I recognized, therefore I could become. And I think when I first started realizing I could act and looking back on certain choices I'd made as an actor, I realized that as a very small child, I would watch people on the bus. I would watch people, how they walked, how they had their lunch in a cafe. And when you're playing contemporary characters, you can very easily transport yourself to, have you seen that person before? Do you recognize them? Is, it, is there a part of you in there? Is it a part of someone you know? But when you're playing historical characters, you don't have any video footage or you can't. So to me, it was about translating some somebody that seemed so far away, not only in hundreds of years far away, mm. but far away with their world to try and contemporize it. How did I recognize this person? What were the, was it about her that, that other than finding her fascinating that I thought, yeah, I want to, I want to play her. Mm-hmm. And 
I have to say, I, I, I grew up really loving gangster movies. And I just, I, I just saw her like a, an original Italian gangster. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, like the godfather. And here's a woman who has many children. Evidently, she loved family, loved her children. She kept her friends close, her enemies closer. Um, fiercely, fiercely intelligent. And so for me, it was was that. It was finding something that was contemporary within history. And then the minute that had clicked for me, I was like, yeah, I, I see her. I really see her. And then when the script started coming in, then it was kind of working that, working that out within how I saw her in here. Wow. So, so you, you grew up loving gangster movies. I, I'm guessing from your quote that you're more of a Godfather person than a Goodfellas person. <laughs> um, I love them all. I mean, I really do uh, Italian cinema as well. You know, um, Rafifi and Rocco and his brothers, you know, I, I just love, I love Italian cinema, but uh, I, I also, you know, kind of the bicycle thieves, you know, I, I love Italian cinema, but, and so to play, it's the first Italian I've played. Um, so I was, you know, I found that absolutely extraordinary and, and looking back to do with how, the French saw the Italians as well. And the, the, I suppose we would say, one would say racism now, you know, the, um, the attitude towards the Italians, but actually finding things within that that I could really connect to. So for me, I have a Polish-Irish family and where Catholicism is very big when I was, was very big when I was growing up. So I was like, you know, she's a Catholic. She's, you know, kind of all these things about me that I could bring to the role as well, that I, I understood this idea of a big family having, you know, my father was one of, I think, 13 children, you know, so, you know, my mother was from a big family as well. So just all these things within the, within the story that I could identify with, I wanted to bring some, some of that to it. You know, I, I say this as it's a bold statement, because I've never seen you do a role like this before. It's so very, very different from anything. And just in, in more recent years, you've really just grown in different directions, like with Walking Dead. Uh, but what kind of preparation after you got got the recognition down to to approach it? Like what kind of prep did you do? What kind of research did you do to help you understand her better? Well, I think ultimately the book, um, I didn't read the book. The, you know, fortunately, these things are on audio book now. So <laughs> you, know, you can listen to these great actors um, reading these amazing books. So I had it on audio book and, and I listened to different different versions of the book and the unabridged and the, you know, trying to. And then and so there's like a just completely diving in and absorbing all of that and then um, waiting for the script, waiting to see what Justin would do. Um, because I'd read, um, I think we had like the first script. Uh, it, they weren't all written, you know, when I when I came on board, and the, but there was a synopsis, and they knew they were very clear about where they wanted each season to go, and you know the journey because it's the book, you know, um, and it isn't a novel. This is historical f- um, fact in a way, as, as factual as they can be, which is makes it even more brilliant because you're like, oh my gosh, this apparently really happened. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think you know I have played many 
historical women, I suppose. So for me, understanding her posture, how she walked, how she breathed within the course, it wasn't wasn't too much of an ask for me because I've done it many times before. Mm-hmm. I think when you've only done contemporary dramas and then you're putting a corset on and carrying, you know, 30 pounds of dress and you're having to walk with all of that, it's, it's a huge deal, you know? So I felt that uh, my experience having played similar characters, not similar characters, but, you know, similar periods before meant that I had that as an advantage. Um, The voice was something that I worked on because of, again, the breathing with with the corsets. Um, But then also knowing that this was somebody that was never able to be her true self anywhere. Mm -hmm. Privately, maybe, when those doors are closed, but then the camera can't see it very much because she's not involved in the plot at that time. Some, you know what I mean? So it's like she's just never herself because she's everybody's going to kill her at any point. Yeah, yeah. You know, her she's there's life and death. Every day she wakes up in the morning, it is a matter of life and death. And how do you play that enormously complicated game of chess um, with every? Oh, yeah. So it was, it was that really. You know, when you're talking about thirty pounds of wardrobe and the corset, so so when you're when you're prepping for a role like Catherine and you are you're practicing your lines and and you're rehearsing with your actors and your directors and your producers and your creator EP and you think like okay I got this down okay but then you put on the 30 pounds of wardrobe with the with the you know tight corsets and everything so how does that wardrobe take your performance to a level that even surprises even you after doing all of that rehearsal I think having done costume drama for the last 25 years I understand that when I'm blocking a scene that my skirts are actually bigger so I come to it with that experience does that make sense I'm not somebody that's going to realize things later on when Mm. I'm having costume fittings and they're designing clothes I will explain that as an actor I need to be able to move my arms above my head or I need to there'll be things that I might need to do so I think that you bring over the years with each time that you're in a period piece you learn each time corsets please if there's the budget can they be made from scratch because hiring costumes if you if you have to so be it but sometimes when you have things made it fits your body better you know what I mean you're able to perform cry easier or move or you know get on the horse or whatever it is um if a director needs me to block and rehearse in my costume I will but I find it easier to have conversations about the space what are we doing what's important here so that when I get to the set, I'm not wasting anybody's time. So we, cause, cause time is precious and time is money. So I take those conversations and we have them offset. So we fully understand where the characters are at, what their motivations are, where they've been before, because you all, you're always shooting out a sequence. You never get a schedule and it's in sequence. I mean, it's very, Absolutely. very rare. Sometimes right. it's contemporary. You can get away with that. <clears throat> Excuse me, but most times not. So to have that through line and I was incredibly lucky on the Serpent Queen because Justin Haith who wrote wrote this directed me and he's a producer and a showrunner he was on set every day by my side Mm. so we we had this incredible um it's like an umbilical cord you know like I was close to close to the mothership close to the womb of the project and he was that and that was extraordinary so yeah, I, I do you. It's an interesting question. I think, had I not done a lot of 
period dramas before, I would have learned a huge amount about this. But but ultimately, because I had, I was able to bring those suggestions and, um, you know, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt kind of thing. I've, I've learned from my mistakes. Let's let's do it this way. It was tricky in the heat of the south of France. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was insane. Yeah. And I was only wearing black. <laughs> so they, they say, don't wear black in the heat. You know, I remember on The Walking Dead, someone said, oh, you know, there would there'd be like a, a very brilliant safety memo that would go out with your course sheet. And it was like, you know, wear light colors. And I was like, but Alpha is only in black jeans and a black long sleeve top. And you do the best you can. You know, you know, Samantha, with, with all the work you've done, I mean, it, you know, what the first film that I that I saw you in, uh, feature was uh, Sweet and Lowdown, and and you know uh, she was a character who who didn't have dialogue, and and you were nominated for it. But I'll I'll get to that in a moment. But with all the prep that you had, like you know Justin sort of being by your side, how do you remember your lines? Like you know what's your what's your trick to remembering your lines? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I had um, a brain injury when I was thirty. I had a stroke. And I'm fully recovered. But one thing that I was very, very frightened about was um, my memory. Mm. And being an actor, obviously, it's my life. That's my job. My profession is I didn't, you know, obviously, there's the immediacy of once you've recovered and you've survived and you're there with your family and your loving family. But then I was like, but my job is an actor. And that's what. And um, so I've always been somebody that if I'm on a movie, before I even begin rehearsals or anything, I will know the entire movie. I've always been like that. I have to know all my lines. And then I forget about them. Like they were never there. And then I fresh, you know, make them fresh. With television, if the script, I started off in television in, in the UK in the, in the very, very early 90s. And then decided I didn't want to do television anymore. I just wanted to be in films, very low budget films, independent cinema, Whatever film, if it was good enough and it was, I was lucky enough to get the part, I just wanted to work with, with auteurs. And I'd, I'd been finding television brutal where the kind of the scripts are coming under your door the night before and the lines and how can you really understand your character if everything's changing and they just, you know, and things that were very kind of plot heavy, you know. And um, so, so I was a bit like oh, about going back into television because, as we know, the world has with the the way that our televisions are now. There's so much content and so much choice, and there's so much mm-hmm. television being made with a huge amount of money and experience and care and time. And so that's the way that's the way it's been going for the last few years. Yeah. However, I feel very fortunate because the people that I'm working with understand that scripts. You need your scripts in order for everybody to do their prep. You know, it's all in the detail. And heads of department, whether you're a costume designer or a sound designer, you're involved in those production meetings really, really early on to get everything ready. And then sometimes actors, we're just treated like a little bit like walking, talking props. We get everything last minute. Every The studios had to clear the word. Everybody's cleared the word. And then we get it. And we're like, I'm not sure I'd say that word. Hold on a minute. You know, it's it's complex. But I feel very fortunate because the people that I've been working with, whether it was Peter Morgan, Jack Thorne, and now Justin Haith, in these long-form television programs that I've been making, are so unbelievably respectful and thoughtful and helpful that once I said, listen, 
I had a stroke a few years ago. I need I need a couple of weeks at least with with the with the dialogue. Um, but funnily enough, the job I'm on at the moment hasn't been like that at all. I'm on mm. shooting a show right now, and for one reason or another, I'm getting sides the night before, sometimes, and. It's, I'm working with an absolute genius of an actress called Jane Lapiterre. She's been around for a very, very long time, and I'm just in awe of working with her and by her side. She came into the makeup bus. She knew it all, like two pages of dialogue. She was fine. And I've been like, but I can't learn it until I've asked all these questions about why I'm saying this and what does that mean? And that contradicts that. And did would she really say that? And, and Jane just said, don't overcomplicate it, Sam. Just learn the thing. And so I did in makeup and I was fine. I was like, I can learn things really quickly. So I think sometimes our fear of what we're, we're unable to do puts us in little routines and we make rules for ourselves. And then actually sometimes we, those rules are just thrown out of the window because a situation will happen where you go, right, you've got to learn it right now. And you go, so a bit of a long winded answer there, Scott, but you know, it's, um, (laughs) (laughs) yes. Uh, it is it is a joy to hear uh, be as long as winded as you want, because this is like an actor's dream to hear an actor like you really, really get into it and do a deep dive with your process. That's what we're here for. And, yeah. you know, like I mentioned, this year just has just been a banner year. Uh, I just and I have to say, I saw like within maybe two or three days apart, both She Said and The Whale. And regarding She Said, you know, you were talking about. You know, I, I mentioned points of connection. You talked about about things you recognize about the character. So when it came to Zelda Perkins and she said, which is an absolutely essential role in a crucial moment that you have with Zoe Kazan on that film. What did you recognize about Zelda? I recognized the need and the urgency to play that role. Yeah, didn't recognize myself, but I, I felt very compelled and honored that they thought of me, but really determined to do a good job. Because, I mean, I, without giving anything away to anyone who may, may be watching and hasn't seen the movie, you know, it is, she is the most remarkable human being. And I was, you know, like, it's, I didn't want to get it wrong. Scott, I didn't want to mess it up. Mm. But equally, you know, there's a lot of footage of Zelda. I'd met Zelda in the past. We've Our paths had crossed. And I just, I recognize the need and the urgency to try to, to do my very, very best, the best that I've got in me ever. And I, th- I think that as actors, we feel that about a lot of jobs, like, could be my last job. You're only as good as your last job. Let's make sure you're good, you know? Like, we always have that, you know, looking over our shoulder. <laughs> How am I going to work again? Right. You know, you know, it, it's it's not a given for any of us that we're just going to keep working, no matter how, if we're good or not. It just, it's just not always the way. Um, but with this, it felt personal. Mm, sure. It felt like for all certainly for myself growing up in the 90s being in cinema in the 90s um i had an extra kind of bit of fire in my belly to to do it justice to do mm-hmm. to to be the best i could for maria 
and Zoe and Dee Dee and especially Zelda in that scene. So, uh, With a scene like that, how many takes did you wind up doing before everyone said, yep, that's it, cut, print it? Well, it's interesting because I think that the director, she was very, there's a lot of coverage. Yeah. And she she needed to, we needed to go through all of it pretty much every time. Yeah. That, that's not a bad thing necessarily. That is about journey and hitting the right beats at the right time. Um, and sometimes it's got to go again because of focus or boom, you know, you're doing a, 20 page scene how many pages it is and then oh my god booms in i'm not saying that happened on the day but that they're the kind of things that do happen um (laughs) a supporting artist takes the wrong cue and you're like oh they were in the back of shot or the glass isn't in the right place i mean there's always something you're like okay it's going to go but fortunately for me i i love every minute i'm on set and when i was younger i used to be like they not got it yet come on like you know you know however many takes and that wasn't necessarily always to do with performance but there were there's possibly always things that go wrong and then you're going again and you know even back in the day there's a hair in the gate whatever but now I just am so excited to be doing it all the time that if we have to go again I'm like how can I make this even better or just enjoy this moment and I think when we're also when we're younger or when we have a bout of nerves, we want to get through it to get through it. We want to know we've done that day or that take or that scene. It's done. Cross it off. I'm the opposite. Yeah. We get sad when they're done. I'm like, oh, okay, we did that. We go again? No, okay, you know. But I'm not somebody that needs to go again for ego, like, oh, can we, you know, I feel like I need to do another one or whatever. I'm I'm just like if I felt it and all the other things worked, great. You know, and if that happens on take one, fantastic. Take two, whatever. Um, so it was a very long day, answer to your sure. question. Yeah, it was a very yeah. long day. It was a very long day, yeah. <laughs> I, you know what, Samantha, you have worked with the best of the best uh, behind the camera. Uh, Steven Spielberg, Jim Sheridan, and with the whale, Darren Aronofsky is uh, – uh, in a class by himself, you know, his movies are really, really immersive and interesting and unique. What was it, what was it like working with Darren uh, and of course, Brendan, but Brendan Frazier, but like, what did, what did Darren bring out in you maybe that was uh, uniquely his? <laughs> oh. I don't know. I think that, What's always really exciting is when you are so excited to work with somebody that you can't sleep. Mm -hmm, You're like a child at Christmas or, you know, it's that holiday feeling. It's like, I just can't sleep because I'm so excited. Um, So there was that. Um, And Brendan, huge fan of Brendan. And I just was so excited and so chuffed to be playing her like oh great me great yeah yeah let's let's do this um, and also like he's an original you know i i i love that i love arriving on someone's set where they are making decisions because they're right for them and their film 
not because a studio exec or an accountant has done an algorithm somewhere and it means that we've got to perform something that way or this person has to be cast because they make the numbers or something like that. I felt that I felt honored to be chosen and I to be in part of that company, a little bit like an old fashioned repertory, repertory theater, you know, like we're a little company taking care of each other. And it was COVID. Um, and I don't say this lightly, but Darren was on, like if we have bucket lists of directors that we'd want to work with, Darren was on that for me. Of course. Like I wanted, always wanted to work with him. And years ago, I was lucky enough to have a, um, a friendship with um, somebody that knew Darren years and years ago. And there was a conversation about I knew kind of around the time of Pi coming out, I just moved to New York City and oh, wow. living in the East Village, and I, I and and he was his name was there, and I've been a fan for a very very long time. Sure. So, so that was that, and I suppose so. What did he bring out in me that was unique? I don't know. I think he. I've been doing this a very long time. I've been acting since I was 11 years old and I'm 45. So I've been in front of the camera nearly all of my life. Yeah. And every once in a while, I feel so alive. And if it all ended and I never got to do anything again, I would go, but I got to do that. Mm -hmm. And that was the Darren Aronofsky moment. Love it. Yeah, that's great. And I remember, so, so Pi was 98. Uh, that was, yeah, you, you that goes uh, way back uh, with Darren. You finally got to work with him. But yeah, Samantha, what what was it? You've been acting your whole life almost. Like, what was it that made you want to become an actor in the first place? Oh, I think um, survival. Um, I had a very complicated childhood. I was in in the UK. We call it the care system. So foster care from birth. So I had over 12 sets of foster parents and I was in children's homes. I was um, in trouble with the police when I was very little and had a very complex childhood. And a teacher at school said, you should do drama. Mm-hmm. Now, I was somebody that was, if someone was being bullied in the playground, I would go and stick up for them, you know, and I would have a fight with the bully. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I was never shy, never, ever shy, but also not not kind of like musical, like Bonnie Langford. I wasn't kind of in, I was just kind of, I don't know, a little, a little character, I think, looking back. And so this particular teacher said I should do drama. I didn't know what drama was really. And then he wrote down the name of this drama club, after school drama club. And I told my children's home about it. And we wrote an application form and then they got the application form for me and I went along and I auditioned and and I didn't hear anything that year. And I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, I had got in, but the letter hadn't been given to me. So next year I'm like, right, that drama thing, I'm going to go and do have a go at that. And I went back and, and I got in the, the following year. Um, and the, the man who ran that is, is a man, he's retired from that now called Ian Smith. And he changed my life because he told me that I had a gift and I was talented and it was this thing called drama and it was heavy. We would write plays and it was about improvisation. And so twice a week after school, even though I wasn't at school, I would go to his drama club. 
and he was a casting pool for television in the area. So nice. I would do like be an extra and things like that. So he got me involved in everything and gave me my first train fare money to London to audition for a play at the Royal Court called Ashes and Sand. And I got the play and like, and then I've not stopped working since. So, you know, like it just takes a few angels in your life to change your life. And he was an angel and is an angel in my life. And it wasn't that I, you know, was like, I want to be an actor. I just, somebody said I was confident and strong at something because I, I didn't go to school. I left school at 12 years old. I have no mm -hmm. qualifications other than quite gratefully, I've been given some honorary degrees. So I'm Dr. Morton now, not that I use it, but you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's there. It's a gift, you know, and wow. I treasure it and I'm fortunate and, you know. Someone saw in you something that it took a moment for you to see in yourself and, and here you are all these years no, later. I didn't know what drama was. I just didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> you know, we're talking, uh, you know, inner city, very, very, I come from a very, very poor background, like very poor, the underclass in the UK, mm -hmm. you know, not even working class, you know, high unemployment and, crime and and so that was just so far from my world that I would ever be you know on you know on the telly or in the movies but I think that there's an authentic there was an authenticity to me that I hadn't been trained in any way it was completely natural so then I had to learn my craft on screen on set you know well you're you, you were talking about the early tv you did and you know, the first like official productions that you worked on, Soldier, Soldier and Boone. Uh, what was that like for you to like, like, this is it. I'm, I'm really in it now. Well, I, well, I was a kid and I was playing the daughter or I think in Boone, what was fascinating is um, she was originally like walk on one, which is when you have what like you walk on and you're kind of a featured extra. And then I started making her have lines. <laughs> she was called Mandy the Castle. <laughs> and I started giving her lines. <laughs> she hadn't had any lines written at that point. So I kind of made that part a little bit. And the director was someone called Michael Winterbottom. And you know who he then became. So he started, it's a little bit like when you look at um, Columbo and you see Cassavetes there or Spielberg directed an early episode of Columbo. Like in television, you can meet some incredible directors who are starting on their journey. So, and I was a kid, I was just like, this is just so much fun. And I was like just these small, small, small role, but able to watch a huge amount, just always learning and watching. So I, I mentioned that my my introduction to Samantha Morton came with Sweet and Lowdown in 1999. And here you're working with Woody Allen, writer, director, you're working with Sean Penn. Uh, and like, you have a role that was your first Oscar nomination. And she doesn't have any dialogue. So like, what was the challenge to do that? And what did you learn the most from working on that film? Uh, well, there wasn't any kind of special, this is how I'm going to play her from my perspective. Yeah, right, right. Because I think the thing about Hattie was that she was a chatterbox. She just was mute. If she could speak, she'd be like, yeah, totally. <laughs> there was so much going on. Um, and Woody was just a dream. He was kind and funny and inclusive and 
Sean was an, they're just like fam, like just so helpful and kind. And we had, we had a good time. We, you know, it's, it was fun and it was enjoyable. And it was, um, my research for that was Woody said, I need you to watch the Marx Brothers films. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, yeah. And it's Harpo. Okay, I'm being Harpo. Okay, I get it. I get it. And that was my little note. And then I did got to get a bit scared because friends of mine who'd um, been in Woody films had said, you might not make it to the cut. Oh, you right. might be just not in the movie. He might reshoot the movie. You might not be in it. I was like, oh, I hope not. And I was in the movie, so I was just happy to be in the movie. You know, uh, what do you remember about the moment that you heard that you were nominated for an Academy Award? I was very heavily pregnant with my first child. It's 22. And I was just really, really happy. I think, yeah. you know, coming from where I, I'm from, my, my childhood and everything, kind of dreams come true in a way you know they can I, it sounds a bit wishy-washy but they do <laughs> and I felt you know just to be nominated or just to be you know forget all of that stuff and I mean this just for me to get on a plane and be in the United States of America mm -hmm. you know I grew up watching American cinema like as a British person everything all the movies are in American like every, everything's American for me growing up America's the best. It's like where you want to be. And so regardless of anything, just working in America was a dream come true. For sure. So to get off that plane and be in New York City and, you know, and, and then so, yeah. I mean, I remember the, the first time I went to Los Angeles was for press for Emma and the actress who played Emma, Kate Beckinsale, I think was unavailable to do press for the show. So Super Whistle and Delia Fine, who was – Running, I think she was part of A&E at the time, and, and Sue Whistle was the producer of Emma, invited me to go to LA, and we were in Pasadena, and I hired a little bicycle, and I went round, and I was just like, this is where I want to be. And actually, I don't think any press wanted to talk to me because I wasn't Kate Beckinsale. I was like a little oh. hat, you know, play, which, which was fine because I got a little free holiday, and Mark Strong got to do some interviews and stuff, but it was like I just said, please, Lord Jesus, please, if this – if this is meant for me, I'd really like it, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, what, you know, how can I make this better? How can I deserve this? What can I do? What can I give back? Because I'd really like this to keep happening. Be working in America. And obviously an Oscar nomination was incredible because I'm Sam from Nottingham. And that just doesn't happen, really. The odds are so, I don't even know what the odds are. I didn't go to drama school. I didn't go to school. I, I was homeless. I was a homeless teenager. I was in trouble with the police. And here we are. A few years later, and I'm going to the Oscars with my newborn baby. Wow. And sharing, like, you know. Yeah. So speaking of being in America, that brings us to In America with Jim Sheridan. And you were, you were talking about your background and your upbringing and, and also about, about, about recognizing something in the characters that you could, like, latch on to. So what was it about In America that you really were drawn from your own background while also working on a film that was semi-autobiographical for, for Jim Sheridan. Well, this is the funny thing about our business, Scott, because the part, I think, I could be wrong, but Kate Winslet was meant to be playing that role. 
And she pulled out and was doing something else. And so the role became available and I had to, I was doing minority report and I was staying in, in California and I had to rush to this meeting and didn't really know much about the project other than it was meeting Jim Sheridan. I mean, come on, I was meeting Jim Sheridan. He's yeah. like the name of the father, my left foot. I mean, like he's the boxer, like Jim Sheridan. And um, I was just, I go to the meeting, you know, even if the part is, doesn't go my way, it's fine. I just want to meet the man because he's just incredible. And um, anyway, I ended up getting the role. And for me, you know, my family, my my grandmother came, she was pregnant and a single mother, and she emigrated from Ireland to England. So, you know, she started with nothing, yeah. you know, and my grandfather's Polish, um, you know, a refugee, you know, a prisoner of war, like everything that happened to him and his family in the war. So I have this history, you know, my grandfather couldn't speak any English mm. and my grandmother the, in England then the racism in England to do towards Irish people was despicable it used to say no blacks no Irish and no dogs on the door mm. you know so my family would you know I, I grew up with my family being mistreated and hated and you know I think what I loved about when I arrived in New York when I was young is the fact that that everybody was there every culture every religion, every everything, walking peacefully side by side. And I burst into tears at crossing um, uh, the road one day, just going like, this is, this is home. This is where I belong. This is how human beings should be. Um, and so that, that was a, a reason for me wanting to be in Jim's film because I have this Irish history. Um, I wanted to explore that a little bit, how that felt inside. But the, the idea of wanting a better life for you and your family and trying to go somewhere where things will be better um and the connection um just oh i had a young baby at the time so also i was a mother and i you know there was a lot of things within that script that were just oh just profoundly moving and compelling and yeah i just felt just so honored and in awe and you know wanted again to do a really good job for jim well, you, you mentioned uh, the, what are the odds? Well, the odds were pretty good because you got nominated for this one as well. And, oh, uh, you know, sometimes that's... it's the roles, you know, you get that if you're lucky to get those roles where you get to show a little bit of vulnerability or, or you know, yeah, I was lucky. So, so also in 2002, talk about a breakthrough year, you know, or at least going to the next level. Uh, I got two words for you. Well, I got four words for you. The first two words are, Minority Report, and the other two words are Spielberg and Cruz. So where to begin on this one? But let's start with Spielberg. What is it like? I mean, it's such an easy question. I'm sure I can't wait to hear the answer. What is it like making a film with Steven Spielberg? Well, it's something you never forget, and it is a gift, it is a treasured, treasured, treasured memory um, in my memory bank. Um, he's incredible, as we know he is an incredible filmmaker, a genius uh, a filmmaker. But he's also so unbelievably kind. And the thing about acting, and certainly to play um, a character that is so vulnerable, like Agatha. Yeah, precog. Yeah, 
in anyone else's hands, I may have had a breakdown because the character goes, she feels everybody's pain. She's an empath. So she's feeling everybody's pain and the vulnerability of that. And I was obviously wanting to give it 150% all the time for, for Tom and for, for myself. And the, the, you know, you always want it to be, as I do, as good as it can be, huge amount of enthusiasm. Um, Stephen is a, is a gentleman and he's fatherly and he's kind and he's respectful. Um, and you feel safe. You feel completely safe on his set, safe to perform things that are pretty tough, safe to say, I don't feel comfortable with the way the scene is going. You feel safe to say, can I use the restroom? You feel safe. You just feel safe. And I think that isn't a given. Just because somebody's a brilliant filmmaker isn't a given that they're going to be wonderful to work for. But he is, and he was, and their memories I'll have my heart forever. So so here you're playing this extremely vulnerable character who was an empath, like you pointed out, and she she is covered in goo <laughs> part of the film. And you know, when you're getting into character like that, it's one thing. But when the filming is done and you get out of that character. Like, is that something you're able to just like flick a switch and get out of character? Or do you need, do you need a moment? Do you need a few days? Do you need a week? I have a, then I had a small child. Esme mm. would have been one years wow. old. Yeah. I was 23, single mom. I have to get out of character. I've got nappies to change. I have to express my milk. <laughs> I have to, I have to do the, the shopping. I have to. And I think I'm lucky that I've always been able to go into things very quickly and leave them very quickly. It doesn't mean that I'm not tired. It doesn't mean that I'm not spent. And that's why it's hard being a, having a family as, a, as an actor. We're like circus people, aren't we? We just, we just, we're on the road. If we're lucky enough to be on the road, we're on the road living out of a suitcase, taking our families, trying to have some semblance of normality the best we can, and also accepting that it's never going to be normal because we're actors. And this is is what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so yeah, I do, I do, I I had to find a shortcut to, to lose some of the stuff in order to be there for Esme. Amazing. That's amazing. And, and you know, that, the scene, there's so much about that movie. I mean, I've seen the movie so many times. And one of my favorite scenes is uh, uh, where, where Agatha and, and, you know, you and Tom are, are like, she's like, stop, walk, 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 stop. Walk, walk. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what do you remember? Like, I mean, it's such a, you know, it's like 20 years ago already. Uh, but what do you remember about like filming a scene like that, which is such, it's not just about the performance. It's about the choreography. Mm-hmm. I just remember having the best time with Tom. Again, somebody that, and I think it's actually important to say this because of times that we've been living in with the Me Too movement, is, you know, I've worked with some of the most incredible, kind, gentle, professional, respectful men. 
and that set the bar very, very high on how you should behave on set, how you treat other people. How, and I've really, I've been very, very lucky because, you know, all of these people, you know, we talk about Sean Penn, again, incredibly generous and kind and respectful. You know, Johnny Depp, the same, incredibly kind, respectful, thoughtful, gracious. And Tom, you know, I, I just feel very blessed because these are men who were at the top at the top of their game, movie stars, box office movie stars. And they are absolutely amazing to work for and with, you know, that that environment of um kindness and compassion. And that day we laughed so much uh-huh. because it's just this, you know, joy for life. And yeah, we, we're focused and we're in character and we're doing our stuff. But when we say cut, we've got to be able to laugh. You've got to be able to to be there for each other. And I feel very blessed. Yeah, your your assessment of of certainly Sean Penn and and definitely Tom Cruise, uh, based on other conversations I've had with other actors and other directors, is absolutely on point with what they have said about those actors. Yeah. So I and because I love I to hear that. Worked- yeah, because I have worked with people that are very, very famous, very successful, and ego and money and power means that the experience wasn't that nice, or I was bullied. You know, there's been things that have not been great that have happened to me throughout the 90s mm-hmm. in my career. And, you know, SAG very recently brilliantly did a big questionnaire that we all had to fill out, and, you you know, lots and lots of – and it was brilliant that they did that because for the first time ever you got to say, yes, this happened to me, that happened to me, that happened to me, you know. And it's – um. so whilst we're talking about these wonderful things, I'm, I, I can say that they were wonderful because I've had, the, I've had other times when they've not been wonderful. Right. And people in power, positions of power – have been less than kind or generous or professional, you know? And now we're in a position where we can say that's it's not okay. I get on the phone to my agent, if, if that were to ever happen to me again, but I'm now a 45-year-old woman, but then I was a woman, younger woman in my 20s and, you know. Do you think that because, you know, especially with what she said coming out five years after Me Too really broke through and 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 Weinstein was, was definitely outed, uh, do you think that it's gotten better? You know, do you think that the 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 harder moments that you experienced earlier on in your career, do you feel like that moments have have lessened? For, I don't know because for me, my experience as an older woman now in the industry is um, is I've been around a long time, so there's um, there's certainly a level of respect when I arrive on a set, oh, and I see. I see that, and it's a it's a lovely thing. Yeah. Um, the people that I choose to work for, hopefully, uh, you just never know. You hope they're decent people. It's always the bit of the Wild West, isn't it? But I think that it's certainly in the UK, as more and more things are made, we have less and less experienced crew. So we have a situation now where a lot of people really at trainee standard are doing jobs that they just haven't been trained enough to do because so much is happening. So much is filming. And because of our, we don't have strong unions here in the UK, you know, we really don't. Equity is not strong like SAG. BEC2 is not strong. 
you know, you've got the Teamsters, you've got SAG after it. We, it's amazing in America that we have SAG to stand up for us when our hours or it's a dangerous set or you get, you know, I so happy on The Walking Dead when my local SAG representative came up and said, here's a card. If anything happens, you can call me. Wow. You know? Wow. That is brilliant. We don't have that in the UK. Mm. You have a, you, there's nobody to go to. If for a young, let's say, young man or woman who's being either bullied, sexually assaulted, harassed, not paid on time, there's nowhere to go. You might phone up equity, but nothing changes. Nothing happens, sadly, at this point. They just don't have the power. Um, so the, the truthful answer is I, I hope that things have changed. The fact that we're even having this conversation, Scott, means that times are changing. For sure. You know, for, for, for everybody. Um but I think that we have to be very careful in council culture as well. I think that, you know, I, I've been in situations where some very, very brilliant people lost their job because somebody had made an accusation about something they'd said that, that just didn't happen and there was no formal investigation. They were just fired. Yeah. I was like, what? No way. No, no, no. Let's just, why don't you ask people that were there? Let's just do a little, like the police would. Why don't you come and interview us all? And, you know, but no, we've just got to protect everything and you're gone. You're gone because, you you know, this has been said. So I think we're living in funny times as well, Scott. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's a, it's the, the, the uh, waters of the camp, cancel culture have definitely been a tricky to navigate. But, yes. uh, you know, yes. when we're, when we're talking about, some of the directors that you worked on earlier and then you got to work with them again, like Michael Winterbottom, who yeah. I, I love as a filmmaker and a film that I absolutely loved that I just felt I loved it when it came out, but I felt like it just kind of got a little lost, but people mm -hmm. now really love it is code 46. Yes. So well, that's fascinating because that's, that's incredible sci-fi. I love it. That's what I'm a big sci-fi guy. So yeah, yeah. well, there you go. <laughs> I think Frank Cottrell Boyce wrote that and he is, he's just next level. And Michael is someone again that I'm a huge fan of. And, um, you know, and Tim Robbins. I mean, you know, it's, I think that film did get a little lost, sadly. Um, it was premiered at Venice and I think there was a hiccup with the print at Venice. So, oh. you know, there's little, little things, but that, you know, it's, um, it was amazing to shoot. We were in all over the world in, you know, China, Pakistan, uh, Rajasthan, uh, you know, Dubai. Um, we were, we went everywhere. It was, it was absolutely incredible. I had an amazing time. So you were talking when we were talking about uh, uh, the Serpent Queen about prior work you'd done with period pieces, and I wanted to ask you about working on Elizabeth the Golden Age with Shikhar Kapoor. And uh, how that kind of like sort of uh, opened the door for you a little bit with the uh, Serpent Queen. Ah, well, I well the lip well there's the Golden Age, but I'd also done I played Jane Eyre and Emma, and I did a show called Tom Jones for the BBC when I was younger, where I played Sophia Weston. Um, so kind of the, the the idea of the costumes had been there before, but but mm. that period and certainly to do with um, Elizabeth. Antonia Fraser, uh, an amazing writer, um, wrote a book about Mary Queen of Scots and Elizabeth and their relationship. And so at that point, I'd been researching all of that. Obviously, 
so when I came now all these years later to play Catherine, obviously I knew her name, but it was, um, yeah, it's fascinating that all these powerful women were in control at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about it, it's amazing. That actually, yeah, I never thought about that, but you're totally right. Um, yeah. So, so when I was talking about Darren Aronofsky, you know, there's another, another director who like when I, who started really as a writer and became a very uh, sort of cerebral director as well, uh, that you just, you know, when they come out with a new movie, you just go, Ooh, Charlie Kaufman, Synecdoche, New York. Yeah. And here is a, is a movie where you work with Philip Seymour Hoffman and where you had to age more than 30 years and wear heavy prosthetics. So, like, what were the challenges in doing a film like that, which was completely different from anything you've ever done with the director who is in a class all by, by himself? Oh yeah. I mean, wow. That's an experience of, of total wonder. Like, you feel like a child. What are we doing? Where are we going? How? Wow. And I had history, really lovely history with Phil from when I first moved to New York. He was very close friends with one of my best friends, Shifra Campbell, who's a writer-director. And we, she'd put on these kind of theatre workshops that we did. And, you know, so I, and Michael Shannon. And we just, it was, we had um, lovely times back then. So it was, I always wanted to work with Phil. Um, so, yeah, I can just, I mean, I, I keep saying, oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. But it was amazing. But it was tough because I was pregnant with my second child. Jeez, wow. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I'm my character's living in a burning house and I'm pregnant. And, yeah, I'm wearing the prosthetics and the hours were crazy because um, it was, believe it or not, it was quite a low budget film as well. So not uber low, but low budget whereby we only had one prosthetics person so I would be in the chair for a few hours and then Phil would be in the chair. Then I'd go back to the chair and then Phil would go back to the chair. And um, that was crazy. Oh, it was crazy. But an amazing cast and just an utter privilege to be cast in something like that and to to play this kind of wonderful Hazel. This She was joyful because some of the roles I do, Scott, are really heavy and really yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> you know, <they're> really tough. <laughs> You know, whereas this was, she's light and positive and sweet mm-hmm. and, you know, all of these things. So it was uh, um, amazing. When I was at Sundance in, I think I guess it was 2009 and I saw The Messenger, which was the first like exposure I had to uh, Orrin Moverman. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, Ben Foster is also terrific in the film. Uh, so what's it like? What What is a director, writer, director like Orrin bring out uh, what makes him a great actor's director. My history with Oren is that he co-wrote Jesus son. Yep. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So we had this history and gosh, he's an, he, a highly intelligent human being with a huge amount of empathy and understanding and patience. And one, you know, kind of, Let's just feel it and see what it is. Where some people, and it isn't a bad thing, they need to tell everything what it is. You're going to be this. This is what I need here. This has to move at that point. And everything is very choreographed and staged. And it all looks very naturalistic. But you'll know the amount of 
effort that's gone into something to make it look naturalistic when it's not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think Oren is someone that has a huge amount of trust and respect for actors and likes to give them room to breathe and to find the character and to just be in the space. And he's, gosh, I had, a, again, a wonderful time mm. working working with him, for him. I do it in a heartbeat. He's just incredible. You know, after you had your your health issue, your, your stroke, and you took time and you rehabilitated and healed and got back on track. It was, it was, it was Charlie and Spike who said, we'll wait for you. Don't wow. worry. And mm. they spoke to my doctors and the doctors said, yeah, we think she's going to be walking by May. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to be walking by May. And I went and made the film. How did your approach to what you were looking for in movies and eventually back in TV change after all of that? I just wanted to work. I really wanted to work. And I think the industry can be quite brutal to women um, if you gain weight. And I was on medication. I'd been on medication in the hospital and then I'd had a baby. And if you gain weight, it's brutal. They're like, she's, she's too heavy. I remember when I was younger, there was always a reason for me not to get a rot. Oh, her forehead's too big. Her teeth are too crooked. Or there's always, people always find a reason to not give you something. Mm. Um, and as a woman, oftentimes it's to do with how you look. And I'd always made an effort to not be somebody that did photo, sh- you know, many photo shoots, at, you know, at an opening of a premiere or, you know, we say this thing, opening of an envelope. I didn't promote myself as a celebrity back then. I just did my work promoted the work and that's what I did. And I always hoped that my work stood for itself. And thank God it did because I, I kept working. Sure. But it was still not easy um, because you're, you're searching for, again, roles that are going to push you or something you've not played before. Um, and you end up turning, you feel very irresponsible because you end up saying no to a lot of stuff. And you're like, I haven't worked. And you're selling things in the house so that you've got money in the bank because you're like, I can't do that because it's really bad. And this is my body of work. And this is my history and my legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, there's been many times when my poor family have gone, okay, that painting's gone. We say, oh. yeah, it's good because they're like ices. I buy things. And then when, you know, then I have to sell them when times are bad because, you know, it's, we do have to work. Um, and I'm lucky because the work is still good. Right. Touch wood. Right. Yes, touch wood. <laughs> when I look back on your body of work, and even when you did like a Hollywood production like Minority Report, it was still like a unique raw. It was based on a story by Philip K. Dick. I mean, you know, it was yes, such an yes. immersive role. And yeah. then, you know, with like Synecdoche and, and The Messenger, uh, you know, you the film you did with, with Johnny Depp, The Libertine. Um, and then you do film, Hollywood production, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. That is, it's a big Hollywood movie. It's based on a, you know, a thing. It's a franchise of IP, as they call it. What, what is that like for you to, to go into something where there is just a whole lot of cooks in the kitchen? Uh, because it's, it's more than just that film and that performance. Well, I had an experience earlier on with um, working. F- um, 
I suppose, how would you, I was, I was doing a Disney film uh, called John Carter of Mars, and we were signed up to do quite a few. Mm-hmm. And the incredible genius that is Andrew Stanton was directing that and did direct that. And Willem Dafoe played my dad. And I had this, I was playing the, the princess of the Tharks and it was a great role and certainly was getting kind of more meaty in two and three. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You sign up for the... And um, yeah, uh, I think Disney then bought Star Wars. So all of a sudden we were just, that was it. It wasn't happening anymore because Star Wars was where they were going. Um, and I actually, I was so sad to not work with Andrew again because I'd had such an incredible time. And I found it fascinating watching how the machine worked. I've done theatre. I've done radio television, street theatre. I've directed myself. I sing. I'm in a band. I've got all these other things that I do. And I just was fascinated by how do you direct three cameras all the time with three film cameras shooting film, film, and we're in the desert and you have I mean, stunts and all. I found that it's just another muscle. It's just really interesting to see, A, how that works, but B, how I could work within that. And could I still perform? Could I still do what I believe that I can bring to a show? And I could, and I loved it. Very sad it didn't go again. So when Fantastic Beasts came through, I was a little bit like, oh, not sure. Really wanted to work with David Yates. Um, And I love the Harry Potter films. I mean, my daughter... You know, growing up was obsessed, seen them all many, 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 many times and all of the behind the scenes many, many, many times. <laughs> and I just, I was like, oh, but I'm too young for this role. And this is what's interesting because I was then must have been late 30s, but they were wanting me to play late 40s. It's a good role, but I'm like, do I do it? Because I'm, I'm aging myself up, you know, and they didn't want me to look there was instruction. She can't look nice, you know? And so, you know, and I think that they want to, they want to give it to an actor that they can trust, can just bring the, you know, bring home the bacon kind of thing, just deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually really like the fact that my character didn't go through because of other things that I have had planned in my life. And it was like, no, that's great because I get to have the hat that experienced, you know, and I'm not signed for the next 10 years. It's at that point. That's right. Um, so I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> so the, with other television that you've done, you know, you're there from the beginning. I think you, you know, you grow with the cast, you grow with, with the dynamic. But when it came to joining The Walking Dead as Alpha, you know, this is that that's a show that had been on for a while. You know, the cast like is like that, you know, they've got their stuff down and you're coming in. So what was that like for you to to jump in with sort of a family that that was pretty close knit and and also play a baddie? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Season nine, Alpha arrives in season nine, Alpha and, and Beta. Um well it was a funny one because this is where I, I thank uh, Scott and Jenny, my my representatives are just amazing, amazing. I've, I, and I just have to say this, I've been really lucky. So I've had, I've been with my British agent since I was 18. And I've been with Jenny again, since I was 18, 19. So 
and you know i i'm so blessed with who who works with me you know like it's a, it's a long commitment working with, you know and we a lot of respect and so when scott um my my american agent brought this to me he he was like okay just hear me out <laughs> and he was like this <laughs> this is it and jenny was like this could be really good and Nikki, my British agent, was like, well, it's it's horror, Sam. And I was like, I love this genre. I said, <laughs> you know, American Wharf in London, I loved growing up. I said, The Hills Have Eyes, The Witch, Superstition. I grew up watching a lot of horror. like, And just, you know, all of those um, zombie films. I, you know, my foster, sorry, not my foster dad, my stepdad had a, a pirate video shop in the front room of our house. You know, it was really naughty, but I just, I got to see films I really shouldn't have seen when I was very young but I was excited. Um, I had never seen The Walking Dead. Um, so I did a bit of research and then had a long chat with Angela Kang, who's the show, the new showrunner. Mm, yeah. Oh. I was like, wow, what a role. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a huge role, huge responsibility because A, to the fans, but to the show, you need to get this right. And they were taking a, in a risk as well, this British, I mean, you know, like – they took a bit of a risk too, I think. Um, but it paid off because it's one of the best roles I've ever, ever played in my life. And I love playing her. I miss her. She's just extraordinary. Um, and she's a pretty big deal in the comic books as well. So, and the whisperers and that storyline. So I think the fans were happy, which when you're doing a show like that, it isn't, you don't do it for yourself. You, you do it for those, there's people that invest Gosh, I mean, there's so many people that have alpha tattoos on their arms and like send them to me. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, um, I did one uh, event where I was um, part of the Walking Dead team. We went to this place in Atlanta, it's called Walker Stalker thing. And, you know, you meet everyone and have pictures. And I did one of those. And I wasn't going to do it because I was very shy. And it was like, I've, you know, and, um, and they were like, but you, you know, the fans will be so sad if they never got to meet Alpha here. And, and it was crazy. It was crazy. So that was an experience, um, a really enjoyable one, one for the kind of the ego where you're like, oh, my gosh, people know who I am. You know, I'm getting recognized. This is amazing. And you feel like, oh, um, and secondly, what a role to flex your muscles on. I mean, I mean, like if you were to watch like one episode of The Walking Dead and then watch an episode of The Serpent Queen and then maybe watch, you know, something like heart harlot i don't know like there's there's such just very different i'm like an old-fashioned character actress i think like you know that that first of all th 30 years in to be able to to do between serpent queen and walking dead stuff that you've never done at the same time i did them at the same time as well because i had I, I had to we were shooting uh serpent queen and then i flew to atlanta to do the little special um oh, right, yeah right that's right uh-huh uh -huh. yeah and then and then I was like, oh, my God, that was just for her. Yeah. But are you like, you know, after all this time, after all the challenging roles that you've done and now like here you are, you're like like the pick of the litter with, with so such like like here. They're like, oh, this is over here and this one's over here. Are you like this is what actors dream of to have the variety to 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 try some something here that's different, to try something there that's different. Do you just feel like. Wow, I am just the luckiest person in, in the world. I do feel very blessed. I do. But I also 
I'm not afraid to ask for those challenges. And I'm not afraid to say, please trust me uh, with your material. I promise you I'll do a good job and I will be give you the best of me. You know, that's what you get. You get all of me. Um, you don't get me with any conditions. I'm just there chomping at the bit and hungry and excited all the time. So it's, um, I am lucky, but I think that you can also dedicate a lot of your time to wanting to manifest really good things. Um, and I've never wanted fame. I've never been hungry to be famous or a star. I've always just wanted the respect of my peers and to make the people that I work with proud of me and happy. And it doesn't always happen, but I, I think, you know, people do get happy. And they're like, yeah, you did good. Uh, you were talking about Ian Smith before. Would you say that Ian Smith is the person who had the biggest impact on your career? Yes. Yes. And Lynn Ramsey. I think Ian Smith and Lynn Ramsey. Um, yeah. Ian, because but, he gave it, Ian gave me the, the ticket really to, to, to become an actor and the, and the, the confidence and gosh, I was a very naughty child and I challenged him and, but he, he, he found that interesting. He didn't just think me being naughty was bad and wrong. He was like, you're clever, you're bright. How can we channel this into a positive, you know, into, into a positive way? Um, and he's still a very dear friend and, you know, he still works a lot in the business doing amazing things. Um, and Lynn, because it was the first time I'd worked for somebody that, I mean, I just think she's a genius in a way that I can't even find the words for. And I don't use that word lightly. She's mm -hmm. extraordinarily talented and special. And yeah, she just gives me yeah, and gave me a huge amount of confidence and courage in order to make my first film mm -hmm. um, as a director and that she believed in me and said I could do it and the generosity of spirit and a woman wanting the best for you and yeah Lynn Ramsey absolutely yeah uh, Lynn Ramsey uh, I yeah. want to ask you if, and this might be a hard question to answer but what was, if you had to pick like one role, one film, one show that was the most challenging for you, the one that really stuck out as like the hardest to really pull off, is there something that comes to mind? The Walking Dead. Oh, is that right? Wow. <laughs> Alpha. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> her, her walk, her breathing, her... Her, the accent, you know, the hours spent with the incredible Jessica, just kind of getting that voice the way that we wanted it. And yeah, The Walking Dead. I'm so proud of it, though, Scott. I mean, I just, and for f people that think they, like, I've got a family member who was like, I'm so sorry, Sam, I'm not going to watch it. It's about zombies. I said, it's not about zombies. No, it's yes, not. It's not. <laughs> yeah, what? it's about and, us. <laughs> and she has become addicted to the show you know and <laughs> like it's the, and she's not the kind of person that really she's like, i don't ever watch anything like that and it's you know loved it okay just what is your okay what is your favorite movie of all time <gasps> i know i know i know <laughs> no that was coming um harold and maud i think Good one. Good <laughs> choice. Or Latalant, Latalant. Jean Vigo, Latalant, I think. Okay, good one, good one. What about television show? 
television show, The Wire. The Wire is awesome. Good choice. You like what? Right? You like The Wire for sure. Um, you know, uh, this conversation has just been so amazing, and you know, there have been there are so many actors who are struggling anyway. And then we had to go through, you know, a pandemic, which really just like, you know, crushed our business and our livelihoods and our, our industry. So, so for actors who are watching this conversation, who have had a rough go of it, but are staying the course because they just love the craft so much, what kind of advice would you give to them? I'd say take care of your mental health, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um it's such a tough business at any level. It doesn't get any easier. Um, the problems change. Um, take care of your mental health. Don't be afraid to ask for support because we all have egos and it's like, oh, I can't ask. I can't say that I'm I'm in need. But, you know, obviously with you, you should and you, and you can, you know. And I think that um, the good thing for us as actors is that they're making so much more stuff now. <laughs> And SAG are going to look after us and they will look after us and they are with our contracts and, you know, and and this is the other thing, the healthcare, you know, the SAG after health insurance is incredible and and we're very, very fortunate and the pension scheme is incredible. Um, Yeah, just have hope and just take care of the mental health because it's so so bloody brutal, excuse me swearing, but it is brutal to, to... for our confidence and our egos and and don't don't worry too much about because we're always kind of changing thing oh I don't look right or I need to fill my face with this or I can't have any wrinkles or I need to you know when they're casting I mean I, I don't fully understand I mean I, I've done some stuff on tape and it I just can't, I'm like I can't do it it's, it's terrible it's that we're, we're not in times now where we're often in a room with a casting director where we're getting those notes from the casting director um, where we know how we can do it better so it's really hard when you put yourself on tape and you don't get anything back and you know that's brutal and it's not getting any easier so we've got to be there for each other but they're making more and more content. Know who you are inside. Know where your strengths lie. Find those strengths and focus on those strengths. That's what I believe, you know? I really that's, do. That's great advice. So The Walking Dead is on AMC. The Serpent Queen is streaming on Stars. She Said is in theaters now. And The Whale opens in December. And you can see Samantha Morton in all of this and then some Samantha Morton from the bottom of my, my cinephile heart. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation and for joining us on the SAG After Foundation conversation, career conversation at home. All the best to you and thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, everybody. If anyone's watching this, thank you. Thank you for listening to the SAG After Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation and reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SAG After Found. We'd love to hear from you.